growing appreciation of the great significance of the early years of a child's life. And of course, the biggest impact, it turns out, comes from the parents. What happens in pregnancy and early childhood impacts the physical and emotional health of a child all the way through to their adult years. And so ensuring kind of good health, stopping harmful activities that, uh, that can happen in pregnancy is vital. Premature and small babies are more likely to have poorer health outcomes. And the earliest experiences, uh, starting even in the womb, shape a baby's brain development. During the first two years of life, the, the brain displays a remarkable capacity to absorb all sorts of information and adapt to its surroundings. Uh, positive early experiences have uh, just a vital impact to ensure that children are ready to learn, ready for school. And, it's, and it costs it. It's the parents that have the most significant influence on those early years. For example, even reading and talking to a baby can help stimulate language skills they're discovering. And a loving, stable home where parents take care of their health and are actively involved in the, the lives of their children just makes a massive difference. And so the report makes a very strong case for investing in the early years of, of pregnancy and the early years of life. And these government guidelines, I think, are, are a great help. They prepare us for life. But wise parents will also realize that they need to prepare their children for not just life, but for eternity. What's true for all of us is that we will one day stand before our Creator God. And we will all have to give an account for our lives. And there is a day when our children will stand before God's judgment. And beyond that, uh, it will mean either the total joy of heaven or the terrible separation of hell. Now, government reports don't tend to deal with things like that, but it's obviously vital that we do. I cannot think of anything more important than considering this topic for our children. And I think one of the most significant aspects of parenting is one that we come to as we turn to the next bit of Matthew's gospel in chapter 19 on page 986 of the church Bibles. I'm going to look at just um, three verses. Matthew's gospel, chapter 19, verses 13 to 15. Chapter 19, uh, as we've discussed, is a, is a turning point. The eyewitness account of the life of Jesus uh, flags how it moves from his ministry in Galilee in the north, and now it, it, it is his ministry in the south of Judea as he heads towards Jerusalem. And these chapters have a growing sense of ominous conflict with Jesus and the church, uh, well, the religious leaders of the day. As Jesus sort of attacks the false religion and hypocrisy that he sees around them. And all the while, he's teaching his disciples what following him actually means. What does it practically mean to be someone who says, yeah, Jesus is the boss of my life, he's taking control of my life, and I'm following him. And we've been seeing over the last few weeks that actually it means it changes everything about the way we live life. It impacts how we view marriage, how we view divorce, how we view singleness. Next week, we're going to see how it impacts our view of money and possessions. But this week, how we parent our children. So let's look at these verses. Let me read them to you. 
Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to take to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Three simple points this morning. Probably nothing too radically new, but it's a useful Sunday to to think about this important topic. So three points to spare our thinking. Number one, wise parents seek to bring their children to Jesus. Verse 2 of this chapter tells us that large crowds followed after Jesus as he traveled. Some came to be healed. Others came to test him. But others came bringing their young children because they wanted to bring them to Jesus so that he would put his hands on them, that he would pray for them. Apparently, it was the custom around uh, Jewish festival times that parents would bring their children to rabbis to pray for them. And these people, presumably parents, caring for their young children as, as we do today, uh, they, they wanted to care for them, their emotional needs, their physical needs. But I want you to notice here that they also saw the importance of the spiritual needs of their children. They wanted God to be at work in their lives of their kids. They longed for the blessing of God to be upon their children. So much so that they make the effort of bringing their young children along with them, pushing through the crowds to bring them to Jesus. I don't know whether you've ever been in large crowds, but with young children, it's quite scary, isn't it? You cling onto their hands just a little bit tighter. And it's absolutely stomach-churning if, if the kid pulls their hands away and you don't see them for a while. It's utter panic if you can't see them for a few minutes because the crowd just pushes you apart and it's a scary time. Well, they, they braved all of that because they wanted a personal connection uh, between their children and Jesus. They wanted his intercessory prayer before God, that God would bless them. Now, this is a wise parenting choice. Uh, we as parents prioritize many things for our children. Uh, we make sure they're healthy, make sure they go to the dentist and they go to the doctor. We make sure they're well fed and uh, get good nutritious meals. We take care of things like their education. Uh, where are the good schools? We might even think about moving uh, to a different neighborhood just to have a better school. Or we might decide to, 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 to pay for a private education because we value education so much. We, we try and encourage our children to take up sports and hobbies and, and learn the piano, go to, go to hockey, dance classes and football and rugby and all that sort of stuff. But how much do we actually think about this topic of their spiritual development? How much of a priority have we given to thinking how we can bring our children to Jesus? Now, as a church, we are committed to doing all we can to help parents. And Sunday by Sunday, week in, week out, 
there's some amazing things going on here. We've got an amazing Sunday school. I think the great heroes are the ones who take care of the little ones in the nursery. And, uh, you know, if the preacher goes on too long, they come out looking red-faced and flushed. And they are heroes to me as they care for our little ones. So much that goes on. Friday nights, so many other activities, and, and we're committed to wanting to support and help parents. But do you know what? The primary responsibility for the spiritual nurture and care of our children is with the parents. How much are we prioritizing and thinking about this important aspect of the lives of our little ones? The Bible tells us that there is Only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. The Bible's clear. Salvation is found in in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved than Jesus Christ. And so there can be nothing more significant than to seek to plan and prioritize that we bring our little ones to Jesus. It's actually not religion that they need. It's not ethical teaching that they need. They need the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to meet the Lord Jesus himself. That's what is absolutely essential and vital. And I think the number one priority for parents because we're parenting our children for eternity. And so we want to bring them to Jesus. I've asked a couple of brave parents to come up and give some practical examples after this sermon. It was hard to get people to come up here because everyone feels that their parenting is below standard, right? We all feel our weakness, but they've bravely come to give some practical points, and we'll get to that. But I want to encourage parents just to Think about a time this week where you're going to get together with your spouse and talk about the spiritual development of your children. Do a little assessment together. What do they understand about the Bible? What do your children understand about the Bible? What do they know about the Lord Jesus? When do we read the Bible with them? When do we pray with them? How are we doing modeling the Christian life in our marriage and at home? Do they see us asking for forgiveness for the ways that we wrong each other as spouses and even them and seek their forgiveness and turn in repentance to the Lord? Do we model a repentant, believing life that's trusting in the gospel? Do we value meeting with God's people at church? Do they see that priority? See, whether we think about it or not, children grow up just observing what our priorities are as parents, and it will shape them profoundly. Now, I grew up in a home where uh, dad was very interested in, in the news, and uh, the, the news was often on playing on the radio. And uh, programs like Any Questions, radio programs like Any Questions was going on. And I, I learned that it was very important to watch Wales play rugby. And guess what? Here I am as an adult. And what do I do? I'm often listening to Any Questions. And I'm, I'm always excited about watching Wales play rugby, right? We learn a lot from our parents. And if our children see that the most important thing to us is earning money or being successful at work, then it'll it'll be obvious to them in lots of different ways. And it'll probably lead them to think that the most important thing in life is, is earning money and being successful. 
Some parents model that their children are the most important priority in their lives. And so the child grows up thinking that they're the most important person in the universe. Watch out, you're going to have problems if they think that. But wise parents will want a home where God is at the center of their home. Where the worship of God is the priority. A home where the Bible is read with the children, where family prayers take place, where where going to church is more important than Sunday sport. A home where mom and dad show their joy and thankfulness for the Lord Jesus. Now, all three Reese brothers are pastors. Uh, Andy, Steve, and myself. And that's a bit odd given that my dad lectured in electronic engineering. He used to buy me um, electronic engineering magazines when I was a kid. It didn't really work. Well, why is that? Why, why are three boys in ministry? Well, because on top of uh, Dad's passion for news and rugby, uh, we also observed that really the number one priority for Mum and Dad was living for Jesus. We watched them reading the Bible and praying on their own and them doing that with us. Uh, going to church wasn't a choice. We went to church. And we saw their commitment to the local church just kind of trumped about everything else. And so actually, it's not surprising, I guess, that those priorities have greatly shaped myself and my other brothers. And uh, after other careers, we found ourselves in pastoral ministry. Now, I want to say something that I think is important to say. Everybody, there's lots of books out there that almost seem to suggest that there's some sort of magic, do this, do this, do this, and you'll have Christian kids. And I think that's baloney. Uh, life is much more complex than that, isn't it? And I've known the most wonderful parents who've had God at the center of their lives and they've done everything they can to commend the gospel, to read the word with their kids, to bring them along to church, all of that, and yet their children have chosen to walk away from the Christian faith. And it's a source of ongoing sadness and of their ongoing prayers. And I'm aware that as I teach on a topic like this, actually this might be very painful for some people. Because you're grieving that your kids aren't following the Lord. And I want to say to you that God does know what it is to have rebellious children. Remember the early chapters of Isaiah, uh, Judah and Israel are described as uh, rebellious children. They couldn't have had a more loving parent. They couldn't have had a more sacrificial parent, done it all for them, laid it on for them. Set them up with a beautiful country, a prosperous country, and yet they had rejected and rebelled against the word of God. So we actually have a God who knows the agony and the pain of, of rebellious sons. But this passage does remind us that at times, part of the problem as we seek to bring our children to Jesus is the disciples. Other Christians. Look at verse 14. Jesus commands his disciples not to hinder the parents. Look at the end of verse 13. But the disciples rebuked them. I don't think they're rebuking the children, they're rebuking the parents. And the word rebuked expresses this strong disapproval on the part of the disciples to this attempt by the parents. That doesn't give us the motivation of why they rebuked the parents. Uh, were they trying to be protective of Jesus' time with all the, the crowds pressing in? I mean, everybody wanted to 
get some time with Jesus? Uh, did he really have the time to bother with little children? I mean, let's be honest, children are at the cutest when they're fast asleep. Isn't that the case? And um, when they're awake, they can be a bit of a pest. They're rather exhausting. They're, they're a bit inconvenience. They have very short attention spans. They're, um, they can be rather noisy and rambunctious. Children break things. They mess things up. And what, after all, do they understand? Surely it's just a waste of time for them to be brought to Jesus. Well, whatever the reason, Jesus was not impressed by his disciples. So he commands them, verse 14, do not hinder them. Uh, I had this text in my mind last Sunday. And um, in the, during the evening service, some, some lovely children sitting uh, close to me during a, a rather long service. And I think they were starting to get a bit bored. It was a very long Bible talk from Danny. It was over an hour. And uh, they were getting a bit bored. And uh, so they started muttering to each other and giggling a bit and shoving each other a bit. And for a moment, I thought of giving them a really, what, are they, what do you call a Paddington's hard stare? And then... This verse came to me, do not hinder them. And I thought, how great that their parents brought them to church that evening. How totally unsurprising that children acted like young children. And rather than being severe with them for the minor inconvenience that they were being, I should seek instead to be encouraging them. To smile at them, to show them grace and be glad. Do you know what? Children run around, they make noises, they break things, and they don't care about the consequences. But let's, as members of this church, be continually thankful to God that we have children and young children in our congregation, and let's determine not to do anything that would hinder them coming to be blessed by Jesus because we've actually got a lot to learn from these young children about the very nature of discipleship that's what we keep forgetting verse 14 let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these I think there's a really a kind of a strange form of encouragement as you read the Gospels, just to realize how dim the disciples were about learning from Jesus. I, I, I need that encouragement because I'm a bit dim myself. Turn back to chapter 18, verse 1. He's already taught them an important lesson. They asked Jesus the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I don't know where they were sort of brushing up their resumes, their CVs, and just wondering, <laughs> I wonder whether it's me. Who's the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus? You've seen us all now, all 12 of us. Who's the best? And what does Jesus do? Something totally surprising. Verse 2, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. What is it about little children? It's not because they're cute. It's certainly not because they're innocent. 
I think it's because of this. It's because they're so dependent and trusting. They have to be. They've got no money in the bank account. They're quite little. They're quite small. Everything's quite big. They just have to throw themselves on their parents all the time. Little children are constantly calling out to mum and dad to sort out their life to fix their problems, aren't they? Mom! Mom! Dad! Dad! And if there's no response, guess what? They just keep going, don't they? Getting into your head. Mom! Yes, darling! <laughs> Little children just don't give up calling out. Mommy! Daddy! They've got nothing else going for them but persuasive pleading. Their problems are bigger than their resources. And adult disciples need to remember that a fundamental requirement for entering the kingdom of heaven is to humble ourselves and be totally dependent upon our heavenly Father and to trust His Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, for salvation. We don't save ourselves. We bring nothing but our sin. And we must totally trust and depend upon Him. And as we're going to see next week, there are actually profound obstacles that get in the way of wealthy people coming into the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Well, because wealthy people get so used to looking to their own resources to sort out their problems. The tempting default for wealthy people is not to look to God, but to look to their bank accounts. Instead of trusting the Lord Jesus, they look to fix problems just with their cash. Jesus says to the disciples, do not hinder those who want to bring children to Jesus. Because we as disciples need to learn to be like children. One of our children uh, used to be very anxious about going into any new context. About any moment where we would leave their company to be in the company of others. And so before, say, you know, we, this regularly used to happen as we used to take them to primary school. And before they would jump out of the car... They would say, would you pray for me? Because if we prayed for them, it would be okay. Because God would go with them. Would you pray for me? In fact, the default for any problem was this, was this thing, well, let's pray. Can, can we pray? It was very humbling. And I must confess to my shame, uh, I remember starting getting a bit irritated. I mean, we've been doing this drop-off now for months. He'd come back alive every single day. And, and again, can we just pray about this? And I remember just feeling a bit irritated that we hadn't moved beyond this. What an awful thought. Isn't that terrible? Why would you have me as a pastor? I don't know. How forgetful we are that we are desperately needy for the Lord for for everything. Thirdly, and most encouragingly for parents, I think, verse 15, Jesus wants to bless our children. This is wonderful. Let the little children come to me. And he placed his hands on them. Jesus is very 
eager and willing to bless these children. Notice with me what he doesn't do. He doesn't baptize the children. I just throw that out as an aside note for my Anglican and Presbyterian friends who might be here today. I mean, if, if Jesus had taken them and applied water to them as an act of baptism, then the argument would be over, wouldn't it? Uh, no more Baptists. Jesus could have sorted out right there and then, but he doesn't actually splash water on them. I mean, the disciples actually baptized people. It says in the River Jordan because there was lots of water there, which is why we do full immersion, right? But he doesn't say to his disciples, now you bring, bring the water over, here are the babies. No, that doesn't happen. Anyway, there we are. I love you, Presbyterian Anglican friends. But just think about it, isn't it? He could have sorted it out there, but he doesn't. But what Jesus does want is he wanted a personal connection with these little children to put his hands on them and to pray for them. It was something that Jesus had time to do. He cared about children. As you, as you read through the Gospels, you can see that actually Jesus observed the children playing in the marketplace. As we saw in, in 18, he called one over into the center and says, here's the model of what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven to be humbled like this child. And he delights to welcome these children to bless them. So as we engage in our parenting of our children, and as a church community together seek to um, instruct and help disciple the children of our members in our different church ministries. We do so not with a sense of panic or uncertainty, but with confidence that God has graciously given us these children. They have come into the influence of Christian parents, of Christian grandparents, of a Christian church. And so as we seek to share the gospel and call on them to believe and trust the Lord Jesus, we know that our Lord and Savior is inclined to receive them and to intercede for them and to bless them. Isn't that encouraging? Let's pray.